about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out his freedom. Matthew chapter 6 verses 9 to 13. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Hi, my name is Maddie. I'll be doing the second Bible reading, and that comes from the book of Luke, uh, chapter 11, beginning at verse 1. Uh, if you have a pew Bible, that's from page 1029. Uh, Luke 11, starting at verse 1. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. In some ways, I wish the uh, technological difficulties had continued, but there you go. Uh, Let's pray. We're going to finish our series on prayer Uh, by looking at the Lord's Prayer. Uh, So let's pray. Father, uh, please bless us this evening by helping us to pray anew through this prayer that Jesus taught us. Amen. Uh, Well, over the last few weeks, if you've been with us, we have been taking uh, a little bit of time to think about prayer. Uh, We've been reading some of the great prayers of the Bible in order to try and grow in our understanding of prayer and, you know, just, just move towards being people whose prayers and whose lives are shaped by God. Uh, and I wonder, if you've been here, or if you're just hearing about it for the first time, I wonder how you have felt or how you feel about that. Um, do you enjoy having your attention drawn to prayer? Uh, I hope maybe you do. Maybe some of us do really like that. Uh, But I bet others of us actually kind of recoil a little bit. Because prayer is something that we really often kind of seem to struggle with, isn't it? Um, It's a much more difficult thing than it seems. Uh, You know, it, it actually seems really easy, right? You don't need any special equipment or any particular knowledge, really, or any special location. or And yet, very often, we we just don't do it. Uh, We find other things to do. We feel it's not the right time. We get distracted. Uh, Now, for some of us, I know this is actually quite a distressing thing. Uh, For others of us, it probably should be. Well, tonight we come to the end of our series, Uh, at least for now. We're going to talk about prayer again throughout the year and come back to it uh, in more detail later in the year. But What we're looking at tonight is something a bit different from the last few weeks. Because what we're looking at tonight is a set prayer, a set form of words designed to be repeated. Now, for for many people, probably 
maybe for many of you, this is actually a bit awkward. Uh, There's something that makes people today a bit uncomfortable about prayer that just follows a pattern or or repeats set words, uh, because it can seem somehow inauthentic, can't it? Or perhaps just not kind of individual enough, not enough kind of true to me enough as an individual. And we're so conscious of how this kind of thing can easily become a hollow ritual. Wouldn't it be better off if, if prayer was just kind of more spontaneous from the heart? The thing is, though, it does seem that Jesus intended the prayer that he gave his disciples, the prayer we know as the Lord's Prayer, it does seem that he actually intended them to use it. The disciples, or at least the one of them on behalf of the others, comes to Jesus. Luke's gospel tells us one time after seeing Jesus pray, right? Jesus was obviously good at this. And he comes to Jesus and he says, Lord, teach us to pray. And in response, Jesus doesn't give him, give them a bunch of guidelines. Instead, he gives them this actual prayer, actually a very simple prayer. For them to use. When you pray, say this. I I wonder what actually that was like. I wonder what the disciple felt at this point. You know, he's he's asked this earnest question, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus says, oh, do this. And gives him this little kind of, you know, 20 words or whatever it is. I wonder how he went away with that. I think actually we need to just take that step back and, and think about this prayer afresh this evening. And we're going to do two things. First, we're going to look at the prayer itself. Uh, The fact that it's a little bit different in Matthew's and Luke's gospel doesn't actually really change the fact that it is one prayer. The words are a bit different, but the ideas are basically the same. Although, it does stop us from thinking that these are somehow magic words, where the thing is to just get the words exactly right, and then it will kind of work magically. It's not like that. It's clearly not like that, because Jesus gave it to his disciples in two versions. But what we're going to do first is think about the prayer itself and what it teaches us about how how to pray. And second, uh, we're going to think about the fact that Jesus gave them a prayer at all and why Jesus might have taught the disciples to pray in the form that he did, why why he gave them a prayer to use and not just, say, some kind of instructions, a 10-point plan or something. Okay. First then, let's have a look at the Lord's Prayer. It'd be great if you had maybe Matthew's version open. It's page 960 in the Bible, Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. What does this prayer then teach us about how we should pray? Uh, Well, let me point out three things. Um, First, the Lord's Prayer teaches us the basis on which we may pray to God. Our Father in heaven, it begins, or in Luke's version, it's just Father. We pray to God as Father, and we may pray because he is our Father. Um, This is really an amazing thing, and we really shouldn't miss it. Father is not at all a common way of addressing God in the Old Testament. It is there, particularly in Isaiah and some of the other prophets, but it's not common. And that's because, of course, to call God our Father is actually really intimate. 
It's really worth asking the question, what right do we actually have to address God with that kind of boldness and intimacy? Why? Just because he's the creator. Why does that make him father? Well, actually, it doesn't really. On our own, the Bible's very clear, we actually don't have any right like that to speak to God with such intimacy and and boldness. Because on our own, we stand before the Holy Lord as sinners. At best, children who have turned their back and run away from him and abused him. But of course, and this is really the point of this bit in the Lord's Prayer, we don't have to stand before him on our own. We stand with Jesus. Jesus, the one and only perfectly faithful and true son of the Father. The only one who, who really has a right to address God with that kind of intimacy and security. And Jesus has given us the right to share in his relationship with the Father. He gave them the right, John's Gospel says, to be called children of God. Through his death, which took away our sin, and his resurrection to new life, he has allowed us to be adopted into his family as brothers and sisters alongside of him so that we can stand with him and call on his Father as our Father. Really, and not just as a kind of pretend We're in Christ, we're with him, we can say, Father, even though on our own and and kind of by rights on us by ourselves, we couldn't do that. The Lord's Prayer is this is an incredible reminder of the basis on which we pray. That we pray because of Jesus Christ. Because by his grace, our relationship with God has been healed and 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 taken into this incredible intimacy and security where we can say father to him because he is Jesus father and we're with Jesus now one further comment on this bit uh this there's lots throughout this prayer there's lots at every point that we could just keep talking about but and that's just going to be a frustrating thing although there's a guy called Martin Lloyd-Jones uh kind of old Welsh preacher who preached on this prayer for like five years So we're not doing that either, you'll be pleased to know. But one further comment, we pray to God not as Father alone, but as our Father. Not that is just my Father. God is never just my Father. He is my Father, but he's not just my Father. Because God is is never interested in you or me on our own. He is interested in us individually, but he's always also interested in others as well. We pray as part of a community, as a family, and we ought to remember that in prayer. Okay, that's the first thing to notice. Second thing to notice, the Lord's Prayer teaches us to ask for what really matters. Uh, In Matthew's version, the first three requests are these. Hallowed be your name, number one. That is, may your name be hallowed, God. Your kingdom come, number two. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, You know, I bet these are not the first things we would think to pray for if we were just making it up ourselves. Uh, Because we forget, don't we? 
that the world does not actually revolve around us, but around God. And that what really matters is not our honor, but his. Not our kingdom, but his. Not our purposes, but his. When we pray that God's name might be hallowed, we're praying that God would be glorified. That the whole of creation would recognize who he is and worship him as God. This is a full-on prayer, isn't it? It's not a prayer to be prayed lightly. It, it reminds us that there is only one Lord and that actually everyone in the world ought to worship him. And that it is a catastrophe, a dark tragedy that our friends and families and neighbours do not do so. Jesus tells us to pray too, for what matters, for the coming of God's kingdom and the doing of his will on earth as in heaven. That bit's in Matthew, not in Luke, uh, but it's the same idea, I think. This again is a prayer that most of the time, you know, we probably don't really want to pray. Because, of course, it's a prayer for God to act and to change the way things are now. It's a prayer for him to reveal his son Jesus as the king in glory and to bring an end to sin and evil. Sometimes, maybe when things are going really badly for us, or when we're hurting, or when we're in distress, maybe we will feel like praying this prayer. Your kingdom come. But, you know, a lot of the time, especially in this part of the world and at many of our stage of life, I bet we don't. Because it's deeply confronting. To pray this is to be forced out of contentment with how things are here and now. It's to ask for life as it stands now to pass away and be overwhelmed by the kingdom of God. To pray this prayer is to learn to want something more than just life here and now at its best. It's to refuse to be mesmerized by the possibilities our life here offers for fulfillment. This is all part of the way that this prayer of Jesus teaches us to lift our eyes and to ask first, however much of a kind of wrench it is for us, to ask first for what really matters, for the glory of God and his will and his kingdom. Okay, third thing to notice about this prayer. It teaches us to pray for what we actually need. First thing, it teaches us the basis on which we may pray. Second thing, it teaches us to pray for what really matters. And third thing, it teaches us to pray for what we really need. We pray for ourselves for three things. Bread, forgiveness, and deliverance. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. If you and I were writing this part of the prayer, I wonder what you would put in. You know, more than bread. More than bread, right? It's so minimal, especially if you're gluten intolerant. You know, maybe at least you'd start at security, right? Security. God, give us security or maybe even the freedom to enjoy the prosperity we enjoy here and now. 
Isn't it fair to ask God for more than bread? But this is not a prayer for bonds and biscotti and boats, just bread. That is what we need to live. We're asking God to keep sustaining us. And then so quickly, the Jesus prayer just moves on to our kind of non-material needs. We ask for forgiveness of our debts. This is a great reminder again, I think, that we come before God always as people who, who need his mercy in an ongoing way. You never move beyond needing God's grace as a Christian. Uh, we always need forgiveness. It is so easy to forget this. It is so easy to start feeling good about yourself, especially if you've been blessed, if we've been blessed with work that we're relatively good at, or friends and family who tell us how well we're doing in life and that we're wonderful. I mean, those are good things, right? But Jesus says we always stand before God as people who need to pray for forgiveness. And it's not just a weak, shallow forgiveness that we need either. A forgiveness that is just kind of an idea, a theory, a a nice story we tell ourselves. No, the forgiveness we need to pray for is the forgiveness that actually transforms our lives. As we also have forgiven our debtors, says Jesus. That's what we're to pray. Those are very scary words, aren't they? But you see, what they do is remind us that the forgiveness that we need from God is as real and as tortured as the forgiveness we offer others. This part of the Lord's Prayer makes it impossible to pray this prayer and pray it properly and it just be a religious exercise. This part of the prayer means that this prayer has to keep breaking out into real life, bursting out from church into the way you actually relate. Because what we really need, this prayer teaches us, is the kind of real, shocking forgiveness from God that makes you forgive others. And also we need, it says, deliverance. Deliver us from evil. Uh, this part of the prayer is by far the weirdest for us. You know, if it hadn't been there at all, would you have noticed? Would we have noticed if it had just ended with forgiveness? I don't think so. But Jesus says that far more than daily bread and all the things that preoccupy us, what we really need in life is to be saved from the powers of evil. What this prayer reminds us, you see, is that the greatest threat to us, the greatest risk as we go about our day-to-day lives, the greatest risk is sin, is getting overcome by evil. We're called to pray to be spared temptation and delivered from the snares of the devil. Uh, Friends, do you feel this way about sin and evil? Do you have this kind of awareness of its danger, this kind of active sense that you, you want to be, you want to avoid it? You want to be spared it? I think that very often we have a much more kind of cavalier attitude to sin. We don't flee from temptation, we flirt with it. 
we trust that we'll be able to handle it. You know, I'll be able to stop myself going too far. It's not, not that big a risk for me. And so we flood our eyes with images of violence and sex and our ears with words of cruelty and lewdness and darkness and then flatter ourselves that we are engaging with the world. Jesus teaches us to ask God to lead us not into temptation and to deliver us from evil. That's what we really need, he says. Well, that could be the end of the sermon, uh, and we could just think more about those things, but it's not long enough, so I'm going to keep going. Uh, This is what Jesus tells his disciples to pray for. Uh, and, And I hope there are things to think about for you there. There are for me. But on top of this, I also just want us to pause and reflect on another question. Why does Jesus teach us these things in the form that he does? That is, by giving us a prayer to use. Why does he give us a prayer rather than just, say, giving a bunch of instructions? He could have done that, right? could have said, first, think about location. You know, you want to be comfortable, but not too comfortable. So that you fall asleep. And then you maybe start off with praise, uh, four or five minutes, and then move on to confession. It's a good kind of you know, mode going through there. He could have done all these instructions. And actually, in the Gospels, he does give a bunch of instructions about prayer. So why does he also, and in fact as the first thing, give the disciples an actual prayer for them to actually use and practice? Well, you know, I'm not sure. I've been pondering over this, but I have a hunch. And my hunch is this. You can't learn to pray just by learning the theory. You have to learn by doing it. Prayer, that is, is something learnt by practice. A skill you can only learn in the doing of it, like like learning a skill with your hands, like playing a musical instrument or learning to knit. I can't knit. I'd like to be able to knit. But I take it that I wouldn't be able to knit if you just explained to me, you know, where you put the needles and you go like, you know, I would know the theory, but I wouldn't be able to knit. Uh, it, prayer, like those skills, is something that, that comes by practice and by apprenticeship over time. It's a craft, a know-how that you learn by practicing under the direction of a master. There's lots of things, actually, that it's easy to know the theory of how to do something and still be a long way from actually knowing how to do it. Uh, I, I, I suspect you know examples of this from your work. It's one thing to know what to do. It's another thing to be able to actually do it. Uh, some years ago, I worked at Campos Coffee just down the road for a little while. Um, And when I arrived there, I came with my barista certificate proudly in hand. Uh, You know, I'd done a two-hour course uh, and now knew how to make coffee. And they didn't even even look at it. Because, of course, I didn't know how to make coffee. I knew the theory, but I hadn't learnt it in my hands, in my bones. When I was there, apprentice baristas had to do six months of steaming milk for takeaways before they could do anything else. And that's not because the theory was complicated, right? You can explain the theory in about five minutes. 
No, it's because you had to get it into your hands. I think Jesus knew that prayer was a bit like this. That you learn to pray by doing your apprenticeship. And by getting the movements into your body and into your soul. And so he gave his disciples a way to get going. Now, of course, the great danger with skills learnt like this is to develop bad habits. If you're learning a musical instrument and you get bad tuition early on and just plug away with the wrong posture or embouchure or whatever, um, you know, those habits get stuck and get harder and harder to break. Um, I when I was, you know, like three or something, I learned the saxophone and this happened to me and I had to change tutors and I had to fix my mouth and everything because I've been playing the wrong way. But this is why the Lord's Prayer is so helpful because this prayer can function as a standard, a pattern for prayer that teaches us the right habits. It's as if Jesus shows us an exercise and says, use this. He gives us a pattern to work with that will keep us on the right track, a model that will help us develop the right rhythms. The Lord's Prayer is not a lecture on how to pray. It's an apprenticeship, a way for us to learn to pray right by practice, to build the right habits and develop the right skills. Well, I hope this is all giving you a a bit more enthusiasm for maybe actually saying the Lord's Prayer. Uh, that's where I'll end in a sec. But before we get there, I just want to point out one more thing, which is that what Jesus is doing in teaching the disciples this prayer is actually far more than teaching them how to pray. He's teaching them how to live. Because, of course, as we've already seen, what this prayer shapes is not just our prayers, but our whole attitude towards life. Our whole outlook and approach in the world. Um, I think this is quite an important point. As we pray the Lord's Prayer, you see, we actually learn much more than just how to pray. We learn who we are. That we are God's children in Christ, debtors before him, yet beloved and redeemed nonetheless. We learn where we are. That we stand alongside others in a community that matters and amongst people we are called to love and to forgive. And most of all, we learn what time it is. That we live in anticipation of the coming of God's kingdom. And that the time we have now is filled with challenge and opportunity. And it demands our attention. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but I think it's because of this that the Lord's Prayer is right at the center of the Sermon on the Mount. You know, in Matthew's Gospel, chapters 5 to 7 is called the Sermon on the Mount. It's Jesus' most famous piece of moral teaching. He's teaching about how to live well. And right at the middle of it is this prayer that he says, pray this. And that's because the Lord's Prayer is an apprenticeship, not just in prayer, but in life, in the spiritual life, in living by the Spirit in the light of God's kingdom. This prayer is right at the heart of learning to be a Christian. And so, with all of this in mind, can I just invite you, you'll be not surprised what the practical application at the end is going to be, can I invite you to... Take up this prayer and use it. 
There are perfectly good reasons to be anxious about set prayers and religious rituals. But we should not throw out this prayer. Because this prayer was given to us by Jesus. And it is a gift to us. It's not magic, of course. It will only do us any good if we actually mean what we say. If if, if we actually make it a prayer and not just a kind of thing, an exercise. But it is a gift. We must not let our anxieties about authenticity and individuality stop us. We mustn't let that happen. There is, of course, a place in the spiritual, in the spiritual life for individuality. Right? God made each of us different, and he loves that. But there is also a lot that we have in common. Listen for the, the really culturally awkward word in this verse from Romans. Those God foreknew, says Paul, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. Conformed. To be a Christian is to be conformed to Jesus. And that's the same for all of us. That doesn't mean we'll all be the same in every way, thank God. But we are growing in many common ways. And, you know, we just need to stop and think, if if we're not interested in being more like Jesus, we're not really interested in being Christians. And so I want to urge you to take up this prayer and and just receive it as a gift and use it. Uh, We use it in church. We're going to use it in a sec, and we'll keep doing that. But I want to urge you to use it as an individual as well. For it is a tool Jesus has given us to practice our discipleship, to build and shape our prayers and our lives in the way he has shown us. And so I just want to conclude with a challenge that in our age, where we idolize spontaneity, all right, I think this challenge, although it's in one way really boring, is actually deeply, deeply countercultural. The challenge is this. Make a commitment to pray the Lord's Prayer every day for the rest of this year. And if that's working out for you, for the rest of your life. You know, why not? Why not? Build this habit into your life so that it molds you and shapes you. It it won't physically take you very long to do it, right? Pray the prayer in about 20 seconds. You have to be careful, of course. And and we'll have to work, of course, to stop it becoming stale, to keep meaning it, to keep it being a prayer and not just an exercise. But, you know, that's not impossible. You'll need to not make rash promises. Don't go home tonight and, and swear to God that you will never miss a day because you will. You know, you'll get sick or you'll just forget or whatever. But why not make this your ambition? Being a Christian is always and only ever being an apprentice, a disciple of Jesus. Why not receive this gift and and let Jesus' prayer mold you and shape you? You know, I bet there is nothing each of us could do so simple that would have such a profound impact for good on our spiritual lives. So with that in mind, let me urge you to take it up and pray. And we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer together now. I invite you to say it. 
Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church Podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.